Oh, is this the one where Derek is impaled? Be more specific. This is the one where he's impaled almost the entire episode, right? Yes. Time to boost up. People can bite too. There was some uh, sauciness in the writer's room about that. A teenage boy in Beacon Hills. That's what I dress like. Boom. Anchored. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Colvin, and I'm joined by... Will Wallace. And Calissa Mullis. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season three, episode four, Unleashed. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, The Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. This episode is entitled Unleashed. It was written by Alyssa Clark and Jessica Griffin. It was directed by Tim Andrew. In this episode, the Alpha Twins clash with Scott and Isaac at school. Morel and Allison find themselves at an impasse. Cora gets angry with Derek over his hesitancy to go after the Alpha Pack, but Deucalion, Kali, and Ennis force the issue. Solinsky reveals to Styles that the FBI has come to town to investigate the killings. Boyd returns to school but feels lonelier than ever. Deaton figures out that the killer might be a druid who's gone dark, known as a drock. When more people go missing, including Mr. Harris, who might have a connection to the drock, Styles realizes that the sacrifices are starting a new pattern. With the Alpha Pack trying to force him to kill his own betas, Derek pushes Isaac away, and Isaac turns to the only person he has left, Scott. Our favorite quote of the week comes from Styles. Surprise there. When he says, you know that there's a temple in Calcutta where they used to sacrifice a child every day? That's every day. A dead baby, Lydia. Every day. Hey, you want to know what today is? It's dead baby day. Oh, no, wait. That's every day because every day is dead baby day. Yay. (laughs) I don't normally like dead baby things, but that just cracks me up. (laughs) Styles gets it. He gets it. We got a couple of honorable mentions, too. The first one is an interchange between Styles and Scott. Styles says... Did he look like a virgin? Was he, you know, virginal? Scott replies, no, definitely not. Deaton makes me have sex with all of his clients. It's a new policy. (laughs) And Scott's delivery of that line is so funny too, because like Styles is very like knife's edge with his delivery, right? It's very sharp. And Scott is just so like, he's just like a little ball of sunshine. So when he says something sarcastic, it's just delightful. Yeah, it's always wonderful. All right. And our final honorable mention goes to Styles when he says, you know who else is a virgin? Me. I'm a virgin. Okay. And you know what that means? It means that my lack of sexual experience is now literally a threat to my life. Okay. I need to have sex. Like right now, someone needs to have sex with me. Like today, like someone needs to sex me right now.
it's a great episode for line delivery. Is it is. It's fantastic. The episode begins at the vet clinic with Deaton and Scott helping a dog belonging to a young man named Kyle. Was it just me or was this guy totally hitting on Scott? No, that's how it came off to me too. This guy was going for it. And then he realized that Scott was not picking up on it and was like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, that probably happens to Scott all the time. Yeah, that's Scott for you. Looking at the dog's sample, they realized it had ingested something poisonous, mistletoe. Dean says it's poisonous to Scott too. I feel like the implication is that it's poisonous to Scott specifically because he's a werewolf, but isn't mistletoe poisonous to humans too, if ingested? Yeah, it is. But I guess it would have been awkward been like, mistletoe is poisonous for the dog and you and me and, <laughs> and all <everyone>. of us. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's just regular poison. Yep. Deaton just needed to make it more mysterious sounding. Yeah. That's Deaton. The discussion of mistletoe like this always makes me think of that exchange in Batman Returns where Batman says mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. And Catwoman replies, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. Oh, Man, I really need to rewatch that. Mm, Michelle Pfeiffer. It's so good. <laughs> Best Batman. Yes. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> Outside the clinic, Kyle's dog, Bullet, darts away into an alley behind the clinic. So the back of that clinic is really just the back of our stage. And those two double doors you can see in the scene are just doors that lead onto the stage. And I believe if I'm remembering correctly, because that was our first stage, the McCall house was right behind those doors. So he could just walk to work is what you're saying. Exactly. Kyle chases after his dog. Then he sees movement under a dumpster and tries to coax Bullet out. Uh, you're going to find a little paper boat down there. Oh, imagine how MTV would have taken it if Russell had wanted to show someone's arm getting torn off. they already had apparently several disagreements let's say about how much gore is acceptable on teen wolf i feel like that would have been a funny conversation to be a fly on the wall for but after he's bitten kyle realizes it's not bullet but something else oh i love that turn people can bite too (laughs) (laughs) a mysterious voice beckons kyle closer closer yeah put your face closer to whatever it is come on guy Scott hears barking and steps outside the clinic to find Bullet, but no sign of Kyle. The next day, a nervous Jennifer hurries quickly to her classroom. She has only a moment of relief at having reached her destination when she realizes Derek is waiting for her in the classroom. Suddenly, Derek. She holds up a pointer as a potential defensive weapon. What are you going to do with that, (laughs) hon? Discipline him. (laughs) Kinky. Nice. In the script, she actually takes a swing at Derek. Says Blake grabs a pointer and swings it at his head. He casually ducks out of the way. I think that would have been cute to see. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm used to people trying to hit him. I like the casually there where he's just kind of like, oh, no. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so polite. It's a big thing in wolf culture. So, yeah. Jennifer figures he's there to threaten her, but Derek actually just wants to make sure she's okay. She asks whether he means physically or emotionally, although that presupposes she was emotionally okay before, and her therapist says that's debatable. That's what my therapist would say, too, if I had a therapist, which I should. <laughs> that, that was me being Derek Hale. I, I have a therapist, and I endorse it for everyone. Yes. Get therapy, become a werewolf. That's exactly it. Jennifer continues her rambling by saying that she has to teach teenagers about the crucible. Derek suggests she starts with saying it's an allegory for McCarthyism. Jennifer asks if that's his way of telling her not to say anything about what happened. I think that's his way of saying, this is as far as I got in school. I love smart Derek scenes. He's always reading. He is. He is. He just doesn't get tech, you guys. That's all. He's old school. Also, I love the crucible. 
Yeah, I do actually really like her interpretation of being like, oh, is that your implication that I shouldn't say anything? I mean, that's that's reading very deeply into his choice of words. I feel like that would be a very elegant way to lean on someone. Like, remember McCarthyism? If you try to say anything about what you saw, it's going to be a lot like that. Jennifer says she won't say anything. The two finally introduce themselves just before Derek leaves. Uh, walk right into that lens, buddy. Looking great. You can see her giving him the once over as he's leaving. Uh, who wouldn't? In the locker room, Scott tells Styles about Kyle's strange disappearance. Styles suspects that Kyle must have been a virgin like the others. Well, he was trying to pick me up. Scott said. Did he have game? Because if he had game, it feels like so much less likely that he was still a virgin. True. Very true. Scott asks why Styles is talking as if Kyle were already dead rather than just missing. Because they're always already dead, Scott. <laughs> Styles begins to panic about his own virginity, demanding that someone sex him right now. Best moment. Yep. Love it. It is great. Danny offers to have sex with him, but turns out only to be joking. The line, oh, that's so sweet. Are you kidding? Was not actually originally in the script. Oh. I wonder at what point that got added because it makes the scene. It like I wonder if his talk. reaction of like, oh my God, you're such an incredible person is really what gives the scene its weight for whatever reason. I guess because in my mind, it reinforces my sincere and unshakable belief that Styles is a bisexual person. Styles tells Danny it's not attractive to toy with a guy's emotions like that. But you're still attractive, Danny. What you did is not attractive. There's a There's distinction. A difference. Yep. Yes. Coach reminds everyone that cross country is mandatory for lacrosse players to keep them in shape. They're not allowed to turn into, quote, fat asses during the off season. Get it? It's funny because they're all super fit and muscular. That means we can brush right past the fat phobia, right? Exactly. A coach's line is actually a little different in the script. I mean, there's still the fat asses part, which is bad, but he says, I'll remind you all that cross country is not optional for lacrosse players. I don't care what you little delinquents are smoking at night. It's the 3 a.m. convenience store runs that worry me. Yeah, I can see why they cut that. It's not really necessary. Yeah, but also the scene in the locker room is a little longer with an extra exchange between Scott and Isaac before it um, transitions to them outside. Scott notices Isaac's locker is packed tight with clothes. Scott says, you're not living out of your locker, are you? Isaac says, no, staying with Derek. Scott asks, where are you sleeping? Isaac replies, on the floor. It's a good floor. It's flat, hard, flat, hard. And then coach blows the whistle and it wears them out to the field. What? Flat <laughs> and hard. What? Like my abs. Is, I was going to say, is this like innuendo? Because it sounds like innuendo to me. I can't tell. Maybe that's why they cut it. They're like, should we really be saying, <laughs> talk about staying with Derek and hard and flat and stuff. Also, it would be weird because like there are stairs in Derek's loft and Derek's bed is on the main floor. So like, I I assumed that Isaac had a bedroom upstairs. Like yeah. that, that's how I've been reading it this whole time. Yeah. Well, Derek offered him a bedroom, but Isaac chose to keep it as his scarf room instead. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. All nice. right. I'll allow it. However, as they prepare to run, Isaac realizes the alpha twins are running with them. Not all slow-mo is needed, guys. Oh, I still like it. Daniel Sharman does have a like, good build for a runner, though. He does. Okay, but to circle back to your slow-mo comment, Calissa, running is just not that sexy of an activity to me, unless there's boob bounce involved, which there isn't here. Don't shame their boob size. <laughs> Despite Scott's protests, Isaac rushes ahead after the twins. 
again, the scene's actually more drawn out in the script. This episode had a lot of little changes between script to screen. In this one, they are running off ahead of Isaac and you can just hear them taunting him. They're calling out Isaac and the voice is kind of like echoing from the trees. Aiden says, still thinking about the girl and Isaac's like turning around trying to search for the voice, but the twins are moving too fast and they're just like, he's seeing him in the corner of his eye. Ethan says, you didn't even know her name, did you? Aiden says, it doesn't matter now. Ethan replies, since we ripped that bitch apart. Damn. Yeah. Rough, rough, rough. (laughs) Ethan and Aiden attack and taunt Isaac. Aiden asks how many bones are in the human body. Ethan suggests they count. But before they can hurt Isaac, Scott jumps in to defend him. That's one, he tells the twins. That is another good one, Scott. Yeah, Scott is on point in this episode. He is. I have to ask, though, what are the Alpha Twins trying to accomplish here? I think they're just around. Why? Because they're bored. They're 25-year-olds pretending to be in high school. Okay, yeah, that, that would be boring. Before a fight can ensue, the werewolves hear a scream from one of their classmates. Scott joins the rest of the class to find Kyle dead and strung up against a tree. Styles actually gets a little choked up here, even though he didn't know this person. Let's get all those awards to D.O.B. <laughs> the sheriff shows up to investigate the scene, telling a deputy to secure the scene before the teenagers trample the evidence. I'm surprised Styles didn't do that before the sheriff even got there. I could just imagine him being like, okay, back up, back up, guys. Back it up, people. He just has a roll of police tape on him at all times, just <laughs> well, in case. Oh, I'm sure he does. I, I'm sure in the Jeep, yeah. Styles points out the similarities between Kyle's death and the three others. Stolinski instructs the coach to get the teenagers away from the scene. Finstock does so, telling them that's probably just a homeless kid. Oh my god. What is it with this town and homeless people? Yeah. I get it. Seriously, damn. It's rough. Coach is mean this episode. Yeah. I can't believe he just let the high schoolers stand there while they waited for the cops to show up, though. (laughs) He's like, okay, guys, the entire, you know, cross-country team's just gonna stand here and look at this (laughs) dead guy. For the next 15 to 20 minutes. (laughs) And maybe one of you will look upset by it. Yes. Isaac insists the Alpha Twins knew about the death. Styles doesn't think it's a coincidence that these deaths happened after the Alpha Pack arrived, but he also doesn't think they are behind the killings. They turn to Scott. Come on, your best friend or your boyfriend? Pick a side. (laughs) Scott doubts his theory about human sacrifices. Styles can't believe that after all they've seen, human sacrifices are what Scott is getting stuck on. Yeah, human sacrifices are an actual thing, like always have been. Yeah. Isaac swears they killed the kid and the girl that saved him, so Isaac is going to kill them. Wait, how does he know they killed the girl who saved him? Did he read the script? He must <laughs> the have. The part that they end that, up cutting? <laughs> yeah, that's the only way. Yeah. I guess it makes more sense now because, yeah, when we watch the episode, we're like, how does he know that? But then we looked at the script. It's like, oh, because they were just taunting him about it. Cora works to get back into fight mode, even as Derek insists that she rest. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, stop. You need to rest. Definitely should not keep working out like that. Yes. Gotta love a hail workout. Uh, It's always so intense. We never get those from Peter. He does not work out. He just seems like the guy who would go to the sauna at the gym, but not like actually... (laughs) work anything out. Yeah. Cora's disappointed that after all the rumors she heard about a powerful hail alpha, this is what she came back to. There's a couple extra lines between them before the alpha pack arrives. Cora says, you haven't even asked me how Erica died. Derek responds, I know how she died. And Cora says, you don't know everything. Wow. What does that mean? I know. I really want to know. We don't actually ever find out who 
killed Erica, right? Yeah, it's just she's dead. Yeah, not not that I recall. I mean, obviously it was an alpha or one of the alphas, but like do we know for certain it was? Well, we say obviously, but Cora having a cut line like you don't know everything. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they were planning on pitting Boyd and Cora against each other. Maybe they had already done that and Cora and Erica faced off and she won. Oh shit. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. That's rough and awesome. I mean, just the 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 meaty drama, but yeah, I think it could also explain a lot more of her like anger in the scene. I could see that too. If she if if she's she's trying to come back from this potential moment where she was forced to murder somebody, you know, that they engineered a situation where she would rip someone apart, you know, and she's like, now I'm going to do that today, you know, and that I guess could explain why she's just so amped up. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We just know, like, I feel like the Hales, well, Derek in particular, really likes to, like, kind of project issues onto other people and just, like, her taking it out on Derek whenever really she's just angry at herself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And other emotions coming out as anger. Mm -hmm. Derek says he's sorry to disappoint her. Something Derek says every day of his life. Oh, poor Derek. He probably just has, like, these stickers he hands out. (laughs) Sorry to disappoint you. That's wrong. They're interrupted by an alarm sounding. Oh, is this the one where Derek is impaled? Be more specific. This is the one where he's impaled almost the entire episode, right? Yes. Ennis bursts in, quickly subduing Cora as Callie attacks Derek. I don't like how Callie attacks with her toenail claws. Did Tarantino come up with this? (laughs) (laughs) Callie then breaks a pipe and plunges it into Derek's chest, impaling him to the floor. I bet Cora feels bad about being such a jerk to him two minutes ago. Deucalion enters and says he wants to have a chat. Yes, because this is definitely how you convince someone to do the thing you want them to do. There's like a really interesting line of description here in the script. It says, with a sadistic, sexually charged smile, Kali Uh grips a pipe over Derek who kneels pinned down on all fours. I'm sorry, sexually charged? What? Yes, it says sexually charged. I I guess this is maybe, it's like penetration imagery. Is that what they're sort of highlighting there? Is that what is happening? I guess. Morel catches Allison asleep in her French class. Allison startles awake, imagining her mother screaming her name. Okay, this bit is great. Edie Cameo. Allison asks Morel what she was doing in the bank, to which Morel turns the question right back at her. Because I'm a grown-ass woman, and you're not. Although you would know it by looking at her, because she's ageless. It's true. Ageless. They seem to be an impasse, and Morel gives Allison detention for falling asleep in class. Scott begs Isaac to let him figure out what's going on before he attacks the twins. Instead of listening, Isaac excuses himself from class as he hears the twins in the hall. Scott tries to follow, but Mr. Harris refuses to let him leave. I just imagine Harris saying, I feel like you're going to go in there and bang. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was somewhat suggestive for Isaac to be like, I need to go to the bathroom. And it's got immediately to like stare at him leaving the room and then be like, I also need to go to the bathroom right now. Y'all either doing the drugs or doing the sex and can't do that on school time. Possibly both. Who can say? Yeah. I wonder if Scott is frustrated at telling someone to do something and them not listening. (laughs) If he had any wherewithal, he'd be like, oh, is that what that's like? (laughs) But he doesn't. He's like, why does everyone do this to me? (laughs) yeah he's like Isaac if you 
attack someone at school, you're going to reveal our secret to, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. Yep. yep. I hear it. I hear it. Yep. <laughs> Isaac is ready for a fight. However, to his astonishment, Aiden begins to beat his brother to a pulp. Walk away, man. Just slowly back up. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. So what you're saying is there's really just one of them, Kate? Yeah, it's one guy moving back and forth really fast. I, I gotta ask, how do you think they decided who would get to take the beating versus who would get to give the beating? Rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. <laughs> Aiden always throws rock. Very predictable. <laughs> Actually, Aiden one, so I guess Ethan always. Yeah. It's the same one. Mr. Harris and the rest of the class come out to find a bloody Ethan at Isaac's feet, making it seem like Isaac was the culprit. Just show him your hands. You've got no blood on your hands. I don't think Isaac really gives a f- Worst case scenario, he gets expelled. He doesn't care about school. I feel like he's really just there because Scott's there and he has nothing else to do during the day. That's true. I feel like he was sort of thinking, worth it just to see one of them kick the other's ass. Back in Derek's loft, Deucalion begins to tell Derek about his vision. So there's an extra bit here in the script where Deucalion says, see, we're not unreasonable, but Ennis, if she attacks you again, feel free to remove her arms one at a time. Ennis smiles. He likes this idea. So yeah, there's more violence threatened towards Cora in the script. All right. Also in the script, uh, Derek's eyes respond to Deucalion's. Deucalion's eyes turn a searing red. Derek's begin to glow in response, glowing brighter and brighter. Interesting. Oh, interesting. So that that's kind of a callback to what we saw in season one when the alpha could make Scott's eyes glow. Yeah. Right. Isaac also ends up with detention after being set up by the twins. All he gets is lunchtime detention for pummeling someone's face like that. Beacon Hills is really struggling and their bar for unacceptable violence is getting higher and higher by the minute. Yeah. Like, uh, we thought he was a murderer like last year. At least this time he's only punching someone's face. Mm-hmm. Well, the detention, the, the punishment was so light because by the time they took the twins or whichever twin it was that got beat up in front of the principal to show him what happened, he'd healed. So it'd be like, well, it wasn't that bad. Okay, I guess it just didn't. Well, uh, I guess they do heal by the end of the episode, like next time we see them. But I was going to mm-hmm. say like, they do say that alpha, like, you know, wounds take longer to heal. So alpha and alpha violence would take okay. longer to heal. Does that apply to them when they're not in their combined alpha form though? Well, they're still alphas when they're not in the alpha form, right? Yeah, they're always alphas. I guess I have a lot of questions about. Yeah, we never alphas. really, yeah, we don't actually well, get into the, <laughs> we don't really get into the mythology of the twin alphas and how it works. Yeah. Like, do they have to be in their mega form to be, like, do they combine to create one alpha or do they combine to create an alpha that's double the abilities of a regular alpha okay my real question guys how did they figure this out the first time like what were they doing when they figured out they can form one giant alpha Ducalion asked that question too and then he was like you know what I don't want to know the answer I pretend I didn't ask it please Scott insists that Isaac can't let the alphas get to him but he soon finds himself growing agitated when he overhears Aiden trying to make a date with Lydia Oh, I like the little dogs on her shirt. It's cute. I really like her outfit in this episode. Her skirt in particular. Cordelia wore something kind of similar on Buffy. Yeah, it was more 90s though. Well, yeah, I think it was like a whole leather outfit, but it worked for her, to be clear. She pulled it off. Lydia and Pat's Aiden's chest. The pet wasn't an answer. I just wanted to touch your peck before I rendered a response. 
little squeeze. <laughs> the police release Kyle's girlfriend from questioning. Styles seizes the opportunity to ask her whether Kyle was a virgin. Uh, he is just incapable of not flailing. So true. And I love every second of it. She slaps him hard, but before leaving, she tells Styles no, Kyle was not a virgin. It actually might have been better just to tell her the truth or a little bit of it. Like the other victims were virgins and he's trying to help his dad catch whoever is responsible by, you know, knowing enough about the victims to see whether he fits that profile. Yeah. The sheriff confronts his son, asking if he understands the gravity of the situation. The FBI are in town because it seems like Beacon Hills might just have a serial killer. Back at the loft, Deucalion continues his pitch to Derek. I like how colleague calls him Duke, though. I do too. Decalion tells Derek that he is interested in discovering new talent. I'm putting together a boy band is what I'm saying. (laughs) He explains that he, Kali, and Ennis killed all of their betas. Decalion asks if Derek really wants to continue having the responsibility of dealing with maladjusted teenagers constantly getting themselves into trouble. He probably wouldn't have turned teenagers if he wanted to avoid that. And he barely has a pack anymore. Boyd's not around. Eric is dead. Cora hasn't joined his pack. She's just related to him. Isaac is the only one, and he's more... Loosely affiliated? Yeah, he's itching to join Scott's pack, actually. Can you join the alpha pack if all your betas just leave you? Or is it just like, eh, never mind. Withdrawn. (laughs) So I think it's funny, because if Ethan and Aiden really are teenagers, then he's got two teenagers in his pack, too. Yeah, I feel like... That supports your hypothesis that they're actually aged out of high school, but they're pretending to be high schoolers just to be around the Beacon Hills werewolves. At lunchtime detention, Mr. Harris pairs Isaac up with Allison, much to Isaac's unease. Isaac is yet another werewolf who has not mastered reverse psychology. Harris is a dick. Act like you're delighted to get paired up with Allison. He just wants those two to fall in love. Yeah, he assigns in the janitor's closet. That's code for YouTube will fall in love. I, yeah, I feel like, you know, first he said that he put Scott and Styles in detention because he knew they were fighting and wanted them to patch it up in this time. That's right. That's right. He wants Allison and Isaac to fall in love. He just thinks they'd look really good together. And he's not wrong. He's a big fan of uh, forcing conflict resolution. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But but more importantly, Mr. Harris knows that that janitor's closet is very special because it's where Slappy met his wife. Oh, there it is. There it is. Is that why he got a job as a janitor? Yeah. Not. He met his wife after he became a janitor and it was a mop with googly eyes. Oh, <laughs> Mrs. Slappy. <laughs> She's still in there waiting for him to come back one day. Oh, it's like saddest mop in the oh, world. Very upset. Styles sees Boyd back at school. It turns out Boyd knew Kyle through their time in the JROTC. Styles asks if they were friends, but Boyd says he only had one friend and she's dead now too. Heartbreaking. My heart is broken. Allison and Isaac are restocking a supply closet when Allison asks whether Isaac is going to tell anyone that he saw her at the school the other night when the gang was dealing with Boyd and Cora. She says it would make her happy if he didn't tell anyone. Isaac says her happiness isn't a priority for him since she stabbed him and all with knives. Finally. Don't get too excited. He comes around pretty damn quickly. Allison clarifies that they were Chinese ring daggers, but she's sorry. That was not much of an apology. That's some strange flirting they've got going on. Yes, it is. The twins block them inside the closet. Isaac flashes back to his father's abuse of locking him in a freezer and he begins to lose control and wolf out. Again, why are the twins doing this? To make him wolf out and hurt her. 
why? I don't know. They're just being petty bitches. I mean, I think you're right, but that's not really a story. Isaac turns on Allison, managing to grab her arm with his claws just before the doors ripped open and the two are rescued by Scott. Scott flashes his eyes and uses a commanding voice to order Isaac into submission, turning him back into his human state. Boom. Anchored. (laughs) They finally realize what the twins have been trying to accomplish all day. They want to get Isaac to shift and hurt someone. Yeah, I'm still not totally sure why that is, but Scott forms a plan to get Aiden and Ethan angry in return. Really angry. Styles chases after Lydia between classes as he talks through his human sacrifice theory. She tells him to stop trying to form a pattern through a single data point. Absolutely correct as always, Lydia. Her hair is really cute here. Lydia says that maybe this is just a case of human murder and he should leave it to his dad to figure out. In this scene, Styles says, I'm supposed to just wait around for someone else to die. Just sit there waiting for them to die. Watch them wither and die right in front of you. And Lydia replies, wither, and then they move on. Do you guys think this was intended to be a reference to Styles watching his mother deteriorate and then die? Holy shit. It has That did not occur to me. I mean, because wither is a specific word. Mm -hmm. And like no one would ever say like, oh my God, this person was murdered right in front of me. They withered right in front of me. And it's like, well, were they the Wicked Witch of the West? (laughs) I mean, did someone drop a Like shrivel? I don't, is water water their one weakness? Like, Yeah, it's a very- that is crazy. Yeah, specific word. And I think that's, it has to be what it is right? Mm-hmm. It's, that's a good idea. Close that's that good idea. really goes back to what we were saying before about how Derek and Styles both have a tendency, more so Derek, but to some degree Styles too, to project when they're working through something in their head that they're not ready to talk to someone about. And so the fact that he says, watch them wither and die right in front of you instead of right in front of me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Didn't occur to me at all first time I watched it and like they move on don't return to it but yeah definitely watching it this time around that's what I thought they meant the joy of the rewatch yeah yeah in the script so this was an opening to act four I think it was but in the script it opens on Deucalion's demon wolf bit not on Styles and Lydia so they must have done a little bit of a switcheroo when editing this was was the demon wolf bit the 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 out on act three no it was the intro the out was on Scott doing the whole, like, they're going to make him really angry. They probably figured out that the demon wolf bit was too hard of a punch for an opener. Yeah. For an act. Yeah, maybe. I, th- I think that's, that, that seems right. Yeah. Allison hot wires Aiden's motorcycle for Isaac to ride. In class with the twins, Scott begins taking parts he stole from their bikes and places them on his desk to taunt the two alphas. This might be one of my absolute favorite Scott episodes. Yeah, Scott's great in this episode. As soon as Aiden hears his bike, he bolts out of class. Isaac rides the motorcycle through the school halls until Aiden orders him off the bike. Isaac does as he's asked, doing a flip off the bike. Uh, Hey, you know what they call that? What? Unnecessary. Well, he was taught by a hail. That's true. Isaac leaves Aiden holding the motorcycle just as the halls fill with confused students and Miss Blake, who can't believe Aiden's audacity. He was just in your class two seconds ago. How do you think he pulled this off? Yeah, he's not magic. Is or he? is he? <laughs> Ms. Blake informs Aiden that this is going to result in a suspension for him. Isaac, Scott, and Allison watch in total satisfaction. I love it. OT3. I know they're so cute together. I mean, I am serious when I say that Allison should do more to atone for what she did last season, but they do make an incredibly cute throuple. 
Yes, they do. Styles arrives at the vet clinic to talk to Deaton, saying he has a free period. They're all free if you want them to be. Because Styles is committed to sparkle motion. I just imagine him telling the sheriff that later whenever the sheriff catches him. Yeah. Skipping school. <laughs> That's the skipping school version of the reclining your body. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Styles knows that his father can't solve the murders when missing so much information, and no one seems to have more information about the supernatural than Deaton. Yep, more information than he's willing to share. You could tell your dad, Styles. You have a big chunk of this old pizza pie here that you could share with him. <laughs> Meanwhile, Derek is still impaled. Black blood starts to fall from his lips. Interesting fact, the pool of blood on the floor is actually just a piece of plastic that looks like blood. Is it really? Yeah, so you don't have to spill fake blood every time. You just lay that down and it looks like blood. Interesting. Yeah, it is. Looks good, though. Dukelian explains how he killed his pack and absorbed their power. He's like the $6 million man of werewolves. Dukelian adds that Kali was right when she had said that Derek looks like his mother. He says Derek will get to know him like she did. Ah, this It's just rude. Keep her name out your mouth. He is a rude werewolf. Derek says he knows what Dukelian is. A fanatic. This goes back to what we were talking about with Derek and Styles last season, how they both feel the need to regain some kind of control in a situation through the conversation. Here, Derek is physically helpless. It's a struggle for him even to get the words out, but he has to do it because if he's still talking back, then he's still fighting. Eucalion reveals the extent of his powers, saying he is the alpha of alphas. He is the apex of apex predators. He is death, destroyer of worlds. He is the demon wolf. It's hilarious. And the sudden lightning behind him. What is that about? Werewolves can't control the weather, right? Last I checked, he is the storm of werewolves. Yes, yes. I mean, we see like outside, it was just sunny and bright whenever they were stealing the twins' bike. I mean, it's like, come on now. And it continues raining. Like the, the storm isn't just something that, dramatically shows up behind him while he's talking like we see isaac in the rain in just a couple of scenes yeah earlier in the day what you didn't see when melissa was watching the news the weatherman was like and around 3 p.m folks we're gonna have some monologuing weather so make sure to take that umbrella it's <laughs> good little. Thank it's you. good kali finally pulls the pipe from derek's chest and the alpha pack leaves like what about that did they think was going to persuade derek they just had a free afternoon and some time to kill. Well, they know the Hales love dramatic bitches, and that was pretty dramatic. True. In the script, it's actually Cora that takes the pipe from Derek's chest after the other alphas leave. Oh, that's interesting. What's more trauma? Yeah. I feel like it makes more sense that Kali would have just like, left him there like that, though. Yeah. Unless she wanted to go take that home with her, which she doesn't. So just going to take this for later. <laughs> <laughs> Lydia sketches a drawing of a tree. Danny compliments her on it and tells her maybe she should be in art class since she isn't in music. Finally, Lydia looks up and realizes she's in the wrong classroom. The rest of the students leave when the teacher doesn't show up after 15 minutes. Then Lydia notices a phone on the piano in the room. And I notice AT&T. Look at that plug. <laughs> yeah. She plays back the last recording and hears the music teacher practicing until it comes to a sudden end. Samsung sure picked up great sound. The music is replaced with ominous chanting. In the script, it actually ends up ending on some screaming. It says, hundreds of voices becoming louder, rising in pitch, crying out in fear until the chant becomes screaming. That sounds dope. I wish that had happened. Yeah, yeah interesting. 
Maybe they felt like they had enough screaming going on so far. Styles discusses what he had discovered about druids with Deaton, all of which Deaton already knew. Styles demands why Deaton isn't telling him what he knows. Because I'm an asshole, a mysterious asshole. Deaton says that when you've spent a decade trying to push something away, denying it or lying about it becomes a habit. Kate, when was the Hailfire? Six years ago, Calissa. So he was already out of the game at that time? Apparently, I'm not sure how the Deaton timeline works. Their conversation is interrupted by a frantic call from Lydia. She informs Styles that the music teacher was taken. Look who actually answers his phone and listens, even when he's busy. Yeah. There's an extra bit in the script. So Styles ends the call as Deaton grabs his coat. Deaton says, I'm coming with you. Styles nods, following him to the exit. And Deaton says, and you might want to start thinking about what a teenager and a music teacher have in common because you're right about threes and someone else is going to go missing. There's another scene before it goes to Dean listening to the recording. Scott hurries into the darkened locker room to find Isaac grabbing some clean clothes from his locker. Scott says, in suspended for two weeks. Not much, but at least they're not going to be forming Super Wolf for a little while. Isaac says, I still think we should have just killed them. Scott says, we'll kill them next time. Isaac smiles and he finishes stuffing clothing into his bag. Scott says, how do you get back to Derek's? Isaac says, I walk to the bus stop. Scott says, let me give you a ride instead. Appreciative, Isaac nods. Boyfriends. I wanted to see, yeah, Isaac riding on the back of like Scott's dirt bike, arms around him. Would have been cute. It would have been very, very cute. Styles and Deaton join Lydia at the school. Styles asked to make a copy of the sound recording. Samsung's are great about that. Dropbox 2, double whammy. Styles realizes the connection between Kyle and the music teacher. They both had military connections. Knowing that a third will be taken, they quickly try to identify who the next victim will be. Lydia realizes that Mr. Harris is likely the next target. This bit of Lydia revealing who she thinks the next victim will be is more drawn out in the script. And I can see why they cut it because it just feels really unnecessary. Mm-hmm. She says she thinks she knows his. Styles says, who? Lydia. Well, you should know especially. Styles says, me. Lydia says, it's been there on his desk the whole time. Styles asks, Lydia, what? What's been there? Lydia says, I can't believe you've never seen it. Styles asks, Lydia, what is it? Lydia says, the West Point honor code is sitting right there on his desk. But yeah, I, I don't really understand the whole, like, you especially to Styles and stuff. Maybe because, because... he spends so much time talking to Harris because he's in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> that's how uh, I took yeah. it. It, it was very unnecessary. It, it's yeah. that, that's a clear example of like when you're writing a script, you think you need connective tissue to actually be spelled out when it's like, you know what does that for you? A cut. Right. <laughs> if someone says a thing, you cut to the thing. Meaningful juxtaposition. Exactly. So yeah. As he's grading papers, Mr. Harris begins to hear the same chanting that was on the recording. He's not even really looking at the papers. He's just like, this one's a C, D. I know these kids. Oh, I had a teacher in high school who did that. Just gave us grades arbitrarily. They were fired. Scott and Isaac are confronted by the two very pissed off twins. They form the twin alpha. Or as Scott apparently says, the super wolf. <laughs> the cut bit. <laughs> Time to fist up. It takes them a while to transform. I feel like Scott and Isaac should be using this time to skedaddle. Yeah. Well, I don't think Scott's ever seen it. He probably is just captivated. Look at Scott's eyebrows as he's watching. He's like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't blame him, actually. Like, he's like, what the f***? And I get it. Yeah. All right. I'll allow it. Okay. But guys, guys, imagine them having like a cartoon in the 90s <laughs> and yelling time to fist up whenever they go to form. Oh, my God. A super wolf to go attack the bad guy. 
<laughs> my god be like cat dog but with two alpha werewolves each coming from the they're other they're already end. attached i know but this would be like if it went wrong comically <laughs> okay or like if cat dog spent part of the episode as a cat and a dog and had to fist each other to become cat dog nickelodeon was the wild west in the 90s but right after the twins begin to attack in their mega alpha form deucalion shows up and knocks their heads together like they're the three stooges or something what are you guys doing nothing i told you which pranks you could pull nothing else papa alpha's mad <laughs> yes he is very displeased with him sorry daddy what did i say about the fisting at least loop up first oh <laughs> i mean it's i mean yeah can we say that still rough i mean we i guess if we're, if we're making a metric f- load of fisting jokes anyway where'd you drop the line scott and isaac get a reprieve for now the alpha twins are so cool they just leave their clothes yep when Deaton, Styles, and Lydia get to Harris's classroom, which is now empty, Deaton points out he could have just left for the day. Assholes do that sometimes. Styles notices that one of the papers is graded R. For ridiculous. Right. <laughs> this paper is graded R for mature themes and adult content. Reader discretion is advised. So there are A, C's, R's. The message is race car, maybe? They find one graded H. For hilarious. Deaton finds a pattern in the strangely graded papers. Deaton tells them that there's a Gaelic word for druids who went down the wrong path. Durak. Meanwhile, Derek kicks Isaac out of the loft. It's not you, it's me. Is this about suggesting the scarf room? I'm sorry. You can borrow a scarf anytime you want. Laugh it up, Fuzzballs. This scene destroys me. It is a good scene. When Isaac questions him on it, Derek throws a glass at him, much like Isaac's abusive father once did. Go on. Get on out of here. I never really loved you. Don't make me get a freezer. Oh, wow. Yeah, dark. That finally drives Isaac away. Such a sad puppy as he's leaving. Yeah. I love the shot of Derek backlit by the window. Sad wolfy dad. Rain-drenched Isaac goes to Scott's house and asks for a favor. Bringing that wet, pretty boy smell. (laughs) He is pretty. Is the favor that they need to cuddle for warmth? Because Isaac is definitely starved for cuddles after living with Derek. The last thing we see is Harris begging for his life, saying he did everything his attacker asked, and the attacker still needs him because the attacker is going to get found out. But his cries go unheeded, and he's murdered. The episode ends there. Harris just keeps falling in with the worst crowd. He kind of is the worst crowd. I mean, yes, he. <laughs> y- you are correct. They do kind of, you know, they're attracted to each other, you know, yeah. like magnets. But it's just, yeah, kind of feel bad for him, but not really. He gives a great performance here. Like you, you feel the desperation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really great. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Unleashed. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the entire Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler-free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the Alpha. I am the Alpha of Alphas. I am the Apex of Apex Predators. I am Death, Destroyer of Worlds! I am the Demon All right, Wolfies, now we're going to jump over to our interview with writers Alyssa Clark and Jessica Griffin. Let's have a listen. So, Jessica, how yes. did you find yourself in Beacon Hills? 
uh, through this one. She was editing on the show and we had been writing together as partners and stuff. So when the opportunity came up, we uh, had been writing together. We wrote a script together, sent it in and got hired together. And then, uh, so that's how I'm uh, meal ticket right here. Coattails. <laughs> wrote some coattails. Hey, you do what you got to do. Code. I got that coat at the Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> Since you two also worked on Sleep When You're Dead in 1997 together, I have to ask, vampires or werewolves? All right, let's not talk about Sleep When You're Dead. That was a cheap movie we made. It was a long time ago. It was, like, it was sort of like uh, our own film school. It was. Yeah, anyway. Even though I went to film school, it was like, it was like extra. Yeah, well, we got other people to. We got other people to pay for it. Pay for it. Yeah. We thought we were making something amazing. Well, I mean, definitely Teen Wolf werewolves for sure. Yeah. Over most vampires. I mean, I have to, you know, shout out RIP to you know, Anne Rice, who, when I was 16, I couldn't, you know, I'd walk through the hallways of my school. And if anyone would get in my way, I'd just like shove them with my book, you know, just shove them. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I, you know, there's a lot more vampire than werewolf out there, but not werewolves. I, I mean, if I'm going to choose a side, I'd choose werewolves. Those right side are much more painful to that's me painful to change than mm -hmm. vampires but then vampires can't go out during the day and that's when most like places that sell sandwiches are open <laughs> <laughs> solid point but like all the delivery apps now that's sort of like maybe vampires are funding all of the startups that are like you know trying to rush groceries to you within 20 minutes oh gotcha that makes mm -hmm. sense well Alyssa, yeah. that was the correct answer jessic what's your correct answer that's <laughs> my correct answer no definitely i think you know the appeal of being a werewolf is just sort of like getting to go crazy and run around and trash stuff you know with a vampire you have to have long-term plans you have to like you open an ira and <laughs> you know yeah it's like a werewolf you're shredding your clothes you're buying new clothes all the time you're having a having a good time having a wild party yeah vampire you have to hang out with other vampires all the time that just seems dreary yeah, and I have to say, like, of the movies, like Dog Soldiers and, uh, you know, American, American Werewolf, Werewolf in London, is there a vampire movie, not even talk the classics, that match those in my book of my favorite movies? That's sort of just, like, fun. The fun factor. Like, yeah, Near Dark? That's depressing. Near Dark's amazing. We just yeah. watched that recently. Yeah. But that's not, like, a fun way to be a vampire. They I had fun watching Lost Boys. Time. Or, yeah, Lost yeah. Boys. Yeah, you know, Lost Boys would probably be up there because that was a very influential movie in my young, young growing up phase. Then your little sister's got to cry all the time. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> Bottom line, you're my mom. Were werewolf, a werewolf. Werewolf. A werewolf. That's what his mom pronounces werewolf. So when I was on Teen Wolf, you know, Teen Wolf, she'd be like Teen Wolf, and I'm like, no. So my friend now has a a cute little uh, comic called Werewolves, and it's about dogs. They're kind of Aww. like dogs that are werewolves, and it's very cute. And I thought she was just mispronouncing it, and I had to, like, really tamp down not to make fun of her, because um, that's mean. Um, but no, she was pronouncing it properly. Werewolf. Okay. Well, you know how, how like, Joe says werewolf. So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Don't know how that happens, but sure. Werewolves. <laughs> Eat bagels, right? Exactly. They eat bagels. <laughs> so I know y'all have written together before, but what was it like writing this episode together? It's interesting because it all starts in the room. So it's not just us writing. Like when you're breaking the series, you're in a room with, you know, other people and people are throwing around ideas. Some of your ideas you get to use in your own episode. 
sometimes, you know, you don't get as many ideas in your own episode, but uh, so starting from there, you're already sort of like working with a lot of other people and getting an eye, you know, getting ideas down. And then for Teen Wolf, we would always start with a pretty significant outline. I think the outline ended up being like 15 pages or something like that. Wow. So you take this 15 page outline and then we split it up between, you know, it's like you take this scene, I'll take that scene, you take this act, I'll take that act. And then we'd write our own bits, hand them off to the other person, see if it all sort of lined up. And that's kind of how we would write our own stuff anyway. You'd sort of like come up with an idea, pitch some stuff, split it up and come back together. So yeah, was- we always wrote with another guy too. In fact, one of the first things we ever wrote with him, now an independent, a producer just got excited about I've turned it into a pilot last year. It was a movie that we wrote years ago, but we all wrote as three. So it was kind of like being in a mini room yeah. all the time. Nice. Anyhow, you know, you had to compromise and yeah. you had to throw ideas around and stuff. So I don't think it changed much. Like you and I writing was kind of like how we always wrote together. Like yeah. I was right and you were wrong. Right. And- <laughs> You know, because when you're writing with two people, it's always the argument and like you have to argue when you write with three, then it's a democracy and we would just be like, all right, it's a vote and whoever won won. But we live so in, in well, I was gonna say so on Teen Wolf, the vote is Jeff. Jeff. We lived under authoritarian yeah. government. <laughs> so we can argue with each other, but then you turn it in and then it's like it's just Jeff. That is just Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. So which is, you know, it's good in its own way. I was actually gonna ask, what kind of feedback did you guys get from Jeff when you were writing? All positive. He loved everything that we did. He said we were the greatest of all time. Now, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because some of the feedback is on the writing itself, but a lot of stuff happened. You know, we started writing that season before all the casting had been finalized, so we had scenes. You know, with Cora was characters. not Cora was not in our script. Yeah, like we had we had. I think Erica and Boyd were still like going to be all the way through. So basically. That. Erica, we couldn't get her back. Like she wouldn't come back. That actress had other commitments or decided she didn't want to do it or whatever the hell she did. We didn't, but we didn't know, yeah. I don't care if I, I'll spill tea all over the place. No, I'm just saying like- we She didn't, didn't come back. We, we weren't in We weren't in. And then, no, we weren't, I, we were, cause we were already out of the room by that point. Yeah. And then I like came back to edit cause I edited this season. I edited this episode actually. So like we got our script production draft back and we were like, who the hell is Cora? Like, I mean, <laughs> I think we'd been on a trip or something too. Like we I were out so, of yeah. town and Cora had been a character that I think Jeff like had to make up, yeah. you know. At- we turned in our script, I think in October and the production draft was like December or something like that. So within, you know, within that short span of time, a whole new person Moved I mean, to Beacon Hills and got involved, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that was a tricky thing. I mean, Will Will's definitely seen that happen on Teen Wolf, where things come down to the wire on negotiations for actors and stuff. You know, it's real people in their real lives, and and sometimes it doesn't go your way. Because I don't think well, there was no intention ever to not have Erica. We had yeah. we had written her in through our through our season, yeah. and so all of a sudden I'm Cora. I'm like, I don't know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> But so you guys were like, we leave you alone for five minutes. Right. <laughs> My cousin Oliver's here. How dare Kevin? That would never that would never happen with vampires. Let's just say <laughs> And I don't, you know, I mean she doesn't have a lot to do in our script, but it was definitely it was because Erica wasn't didn't feature heavily in our script, but it was all of a sudden they had to like give a little bit more to Cora. Yeah. Because her storyline, she was living with, you know, Derek and that complicated the Isaac living there. Because before it was just Derek and Isaac. So when, you know, Derek kicks him out, it's just Derek alone. But now he has Cora kind of hiding yeah. in, the, in the side. So, yeah. 
Uh, like, and just going back to the feedback question, you know, I think a lot of it, it gets worked out in the outline beforehand. So you're, I remember the one thing that Jeff doing. had wanted us to, when we sent in the draft, he wanted to come up with something that could collapse the Decali and Kane right. thing. I remember that was something that we talked about. Yeah. Jeff had really wanted the, something that Decali could be doing a bit of business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it ties in with the idea of like the parts being, making up the whole, you know, like your alpha pack. Right. Yeah, I mean, if it worked or not, I don't know. But like, I love it. I, well, I like editing. I like when he flicks his cane. Yeah. And, but yeah, so I mean, that's you know, that's that's the kind of thing that we would we got back from from Jeff, I think. So, were you able to be on set at all for the filming of the episode? Yes. Yep. Both of us. Yeah, that was. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I I remember the first day of shooting. I think was like the motorcycle. The motorcycle in the hallway. Yeah. Oh. So that that's kind of a fun thing to to. Go. And you know you have the stunt guy flipping off, and he's like, "Do you want me to flip again? I can flip again." And he's just <laughs> flip. like, "No, like, no, we got it. We did it twenty times. I think we got the flip. You can stop flipping now." <laughs> I know they had like a second unit doing like the. There's a couple cams they attached to the motorcycle, mm-hmm. you know, and then they had that whole thing with the stunt guy. My favorite thing about that day, and I unfortunately didn't get a picture of Daniel that day, but I realized that I was dressed in black tight jeans, a white loose t-shirt and a stripy gray sweater. Mm. I was dressed like Isaac. It was really funny. I have a picture, I don't know where it is unfortunately, but I have a picture with me and the stunt guy who's dressed like Daniel, but I I didn't, Daniel had left for the day and I just looked down, I'm like, okay, so I dress like a boy, a teenage boy in Beacon Hills. That's what I dress like. You dress like a teen wolf. Fair enough. There you go. I think he's probably, yeah, he was definitely one of the more fashion conscious yes. teen wolves. <laughs> he wore scarves, you know, he knew how to accessorize. Scarves. So like, be dapper. We would talk about it when we have our, our decision. Well, I was going to say, I'm dressed like an alpha. Yeah. <laughs> Moody alpha. You can talk about it. Uh, so yeah, so this is actually one of uh, Derek's shirts. It's one of my hairs on it. That's awesome. Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah. Just pulled it out of the pulled it out of the closet. <laughs> oh, fun. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But I remember you know showing up and we were doing the setups and stuff like that. And uh Tim, the director, he knew it was our my first episode and your first episode. He's like, so is this uh is this what you imagined when you wrote the script? And I was like, oh, I didn't think the window would be there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good times. So there is one story about being on set for this is I am at my hands are actually featured in this episode. Oh, so it well, we were shooting outside in a ravine and it was in what January or something. Something like that. It was cold as <laughs> and it, you know, LA is not the coldest, but you actually get down into ravines and things. And I think it was in it's, it, it, and even here it's going to get into the forties and maybe like 48 tonight. 40 it's supposed to get down to 41 and it gets into the 30s and it it was getting in the low 30s that night why that matters is that i show up on set to watch and tim's like oh hey do you want to kill uh mr harris and i'm like yes 
for many reasons, by the way. <laughs> so we didn't have time to put me in the wetsuit that the, I think that uh, the stand-in was wearing, he was going to do it. So I'm just in my black coat. It's a waterproof coat, but it doesn't matter. And I'm standing behind the tree. They don't, Mr. Harris isn't in the front, right? We're just doing a scene with my hands and I'm mm-hmm. turning the garage. And so, you know, we're trying to get the gloves to cover up my skin so we can't see who it is. Because you're so pale. <laughs> It's a goat. It's a mummy. (laughs) We don't want to give away how pale the Duroc is. He was also pale, but anyway. But so the the two special effects guys are standing there and just they didn't have to set up a whole rain tower for this particular shot. They just have two, you know, hoses that are just pouring water supposedly on my hands, but on me. Like I am just being. And there was something about, like, we couldn't get it to look like it was tight enough, but the way it was set up. So we did it for a while just to get that real, like, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, kill shot. So she's saying she suffered for her heart. <laughs> what she's, what she's <laughs> and we also, so I literally and figuratively killed Mr. Harris. Mr. Harris. Nice. Yeah. yeah, That's fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I, did, I did not know that was, that was you turning the, turning the garage. That's awesome. It's my talents, my hand talents, my hand model talents. I think I hand modeled, I think I might have hand modeled somewhere else in the show. Somewhere nice. too. Are you one of the hands coming up out of the dirt? No, oh, I was okay. not a dirt hand dirt. No, I think it's like a ring on you or something. I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember where I was. Uh, it was some it was some second unit day, which we didn't even have any, but you know, it was Russell running around with a camera, Will. Yeah. Yeah. That's our second unit. So <laughs> <laughs> that was fun though. I mean, it was super fun. I was so cold, but it was, uh, it was really fun. I mean, I always like going to set. Yeah, you're pretty excited that day for sure. Yeah. I hate getting up in the morning, but being on set is worth it. Mostly nice. for the snack, but that was really fun. Also Good for other service. things probably, yes. but yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who was your favorite character to write on the show? Well, for this episode, for sure. Duquesne. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's great! Love it. That, that's our that's our tribute to Michael Hogan. There doing yeah. the Duke Duquesne. Yeah, he was the most fun. He got the big operatic speeches. Gideon's great. I mean, he's just like he's so fun to watch. Yeah, mm-hmm. super nice guy too. He's just uh, he's got a great voice. He's got a great voice. Oh yeah. yeah. What's not to love? Yeah. yeah. That scene in particular was really... It's like writing the villain speech. That's always kind of fun. You know, that's that's sort of like, you know, one, one of the things you look forward to is like, all right, we're going to do this big, big speech. Yeah. You know, so that's pretty fun. And then Tim made it bigger. So <laughs> I remember getting the footage. And I don't think I was on set that day because I was also, yeah, as I said, so. I was also editing while we went. And so... When I got the footage and Deucalion's giving the final, you know, I'm the destroyer of world speech in front of the window, all of a sudden there's lightning. <laughs> I don't remember that in our, in our draft. There, there wasn't. And his glasses, glasses cracked, cracking. which is hilarious. Right. I think it's really funny. Yeah. But I was like, it was a clear day outside if you look out the windows. And I'm like, Tim, what is that? And he's like, I don't know. I just thought it would be dramatic. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I kind of love it. Yeah. Jacalia's power controls the weather all of a sudden. But, you know, if any really hardcore Teen Wolf fan out there was like, you know, what did that say about Jacalia's power? Well, that says more about the director, Tim Andrew, than it says about Jacalia. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tim Andrews. <laughs> Tim Andrews, definitely. Yeah. I loved that. I loved that scene, though. I loved writing it. I loved editing it. Yeah. I have to say the music, and I love what Dino did. And, and Derek being impaled for, you know, an entire episode. <laughs> an entire episode. <laughs> that actually was a change from the outline. Yeah. Yeah, because the outline, it, it, Deucalion just comes in and talks to him. And I think that oh. just wasn't visceral enough. Mm. Yeah, in the in the original in the original draft, actually, like Deucalion is there, and Derek comes in and like starts fighting him right away. There wasn't like the big entrance. Well, Cora wasn't, wasn't there. Yeah, Cora wasn't there. All that kind of stuff. So that, I mean, the gist of it was there. The sort of like the offer and the sort of you know the yeah go kill your pack and become like me, but the specifics of it. Yeah, I but think. him being impaled, which I love doing. I remember I loved editing the drip, the blood drips that yeah it was so gruesome. And Felicia was so great. And um, but, uh, Kali, she was so good just being all. And then her fight scene uh, before she impales him was really fun. And that's Caitlin. Have you guys ever interviewed Caitlin? Not yet. We're hoping to get We're her. We're going to. Yeah. yeah. Going to and uh, God, she must have been like 19 years old then. I mean, I don't know how old oh. Caitlin was, but, you know, she was such a great stunt woman. And but Felicia did a great job of matching her. I thought yeah. Felicia was really good because sometimes, you know, you can really tell the difference between the actor and the stunt person. But I think they really blended well because Felicia really gave it her all. So when Caitlin did all the cool yeah. stuff, it it really matched up with her toenails. Remember, she had the, that was <laughs> that, that must have been Christian's pitch. <laughs> that was Christian's pitch. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I know it wasn't mine. I know it wasn't mine. <laughs> Jessica takes no responsibility. No, for, for those, for those scary, scary, grody toenails. Yeah. <laughs> That's a scary. I know. Whenever she fights with them, I'm like, but it's so unsanitary. Like right. I know, I know that like their wounds, and that's what you're really concerned about. But I'm really concerned about just the cleanliness. You yeah, know. me too. No, it's not. <laughs> we're such a pretty, pretty woman, and then she has this grody thing. Yeah, Manny Petty Grody. <laughs> Manny Petty Grody. Yeah, I mean, there's one other person. I mean, I really enjoyed writing the. Um, there's a scene that was different than the outline when we got to the script, and but that's part of things that have to change for production and stuff. Is it used to be in a library with Scott and Isaac? Remember when they're talking to Lydia and Styles, and Lydia tells them to talk to the sheriff because yeah, so it, it was like a, a group meeting kind of situation where everyone's together. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, they can't, not every scene can be a group meeting, so. Yeah, and it changed to just a walking scene with, you know, Lydia and Styles and writing for Styles. I mean, writing for Styles is always super fun anyhow. It's definitely Jeff's favorite part. But about the child sacrifices. Every day is dead baby day, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's right up my alley, yeah. (laughs) Dead baby alley. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys already know that uh, Jennifer was the Drock at this point when writing? Yeah, I think we, we knew from the beginning. We did. Mm. Yeah, that was always the that was always the plan. So it was fun to write her being sort of like a you know a sort of ingenue you know sort yeah. of a like oh I'm scared of you Derek you know that was great. The, she, yeah, trying to do the misdirect you know and not you wanted to like when you go back to be able to see what she was doing you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of the fun, tricky bits. I, I don't think we knew exactly how everything was going to shake out, but yeah, we did know, you know, from the beginning that she was the draw. Nice. Yeah. She nice. was a dark oak, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
You touched on this a little bit, but Alyssa, you wrote a total of four Teen Wolf episodes, the first being Unleashed, which you guys co-wrote. How is the writing process different when you're working with a co-writer versus when you're writing the script just by yourself? Um, When you write by yourself, you have to write more words. (laughs) That checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always like, I mean, I, a lot of my TV career has been writing by myself, but I like to co-write actually. I find it, I don't know, you have somebody to bounce ideas off of. There's a little bit of safety in that. You know, you can blame him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He just nodded. He was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everything, whether we're working together or not, like we read each other's stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. Like I, I always have him read my stuff. And he read, you know, I read his stuff. Too. And I think every writer has that. They have like their sort of, you know, sounding board that they go to. Yeah. You know, not for every everything, but is this working? You know, what do you think of this? That kind of stuff. You always, yeah, it's a little, everyone has that. it's a little lonelier, I think, just to write by yourself. You're just a little bit more in your head all the time, which, you know, some people really dig. I really like writing rooms. I miss them in person. I think also when you get stuck, you have someone like here unstick this you know you do it a little bit yeah for sure it really helps to not get stuck on things yeah so i mean both ways work uh but you know i don't know if they're you know, I, I but i do like writing i like you're, writing with people you're probably faster alone though honestly well i'm faster than yeah you are <laughs> writes faster than a lot of people yeah i would say for sure it's just the wrist flexibility <laughs> Thanks. Well, it's really important. It's important to lubricate the wrists a lot. And then my tip for you guys, <laughs> a lot of caffeine, maybe some cocaine. I'm just, you know, these are not, things not to, it's how Tarantino does it. Right? There, there's a reason Stephen King wrote 5,000 books in the 70s and 80s. Like, yeah. it, there's a reason. <laughs> I'm yeah. sad that I'm sad that I, you know, I missed the whole, I'm in some ways sad that I missed the cocaine era. Some ways I'm not sad I missed the cocaine era. In most ways I'm not sad, but you know, it's a little bit of that. I guess I could be in the Adderall era if I wanted to be, but that just seemed, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen the effects of that. I don't think I want to be a part of that either. So, I mean, unless you need it. I mean, right. I mean, talking for people who just use it recreationally. recreationally. Yes. Yeah. Not, not for people who use it to, for, you know. It's actual use. Yeah. you know you do you i'm not here to judge yeah I'm not, no sure. this isn't focus on the family you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's focus on the pack this is yes right. yeah. yeah so the teen wolf movie has been announced uh what would you guys like to see happen in it um i want to see melissa ponzio break dancing yes that's what i want to see so uh, I'd, I'd like to see that <laughs> oh my well, god is this is this happening or <laughs> no comment no comment <laughs> Oh yeah, I forgot. I kind of forgot that Melissa and Jr. Uh, what are their um, what are their Argent? Uh, <laughs> Argent and uh, still and, Melissa. Yeah, still Melissa. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Here's the thing. I know a little bit about the movie because Jeff's a big blabbermouth, so uh, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the things that I know. But the things that I do, I haven't talked to him about. Um, you know, I'd like to see how the characters have grown up. And sort of how they're dealing with life. I think I would like to see some of those relationships to be done with. You know, a lot of times in movies and TV, you know, your first love is your only love. I mean, that is ridiculous. It happens with some people, but most of the time, you know, you go through people, you know, and you grow and you change. And 
I'd like to see how, you know, these characters have grown and changed. You know, Malia would be really interesting to see how she's grown and changed and sort of yes, relationship. And so, but I don't want, I want Melissa and Argent to be still together. I don't want them to have grown and changed too much because that was very, very fun. That whole thing. That was really, there's two, of, those are two of my favorite actors and two of my favorite people. And, you know, that I would, I would are definitely. Are saying actors aren't people? You mean characters and people? <laughs> I mean, I didn't say it. You said it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd like to see. I mean, I think it would be super fun. I see some werewolf fighting. I want to see some glowing eyes. You know, that stuff too. But it, it, I, I just think it really, I think it's a great opportunity to spend just a little more time with these characters, but see how they've evolved. And, you know, I'm sure Will and Jeff have brought all, all that to the table. Fingers crossed. Will's so. face. <laughs> Break dancing. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> well, there's no break dancing. Yes, he's putting a line in the same with the break dancing here. So. <laughs> I could also go with a like a Bollywood style musical. Ooh, okay, yeah, sure. I'd be down with just breaking the mold completely. Yeah, Bollywood musical. I love it. As you said, you killed Mr. Harris in the episode. Um, and it's revealed before he dies that he was working with the Drock. How do you think that they cross paths? Like, did you have a backstory there on how they were working together? There was a backstory. I mean, it's been a while. I know we talked through a few different things. I think the idea was, you know, there was all this lore going on in in Beacon Hills that we sort of learn about later with the the tree and, you know, being calling all these people there. So he was sort of like a, a target for her before she came. Like she, I think she, mm. you know, she had done a little recon of the place. I think we had, we had sort of worked out and identified him as a target of someone who was going to help her i mean he was always a villain right we were never trying to tell the story of mr harris being like a tough but understanding teacher that was never his path he was always he was just a dick (laughs) and there to make styles life and scott's life but mostly styles life really hard and i think we talked about how she probably had targeted him as someone who wanted sort of like power but we did have some sort of whole backstory with him that i just don't think we ever played out yeah it's really kind of hard to remember because it never we didn't get to explore it right he dies in episode four so we didn't you know yeah but but yeah there was it was definitely a thing we discussed and knew that you know she came as a teacher so she had access and and probably had either i don't think it was a blackmail situation i think it was more of a situation of like i can offer you this power yeah. and these things and you'll you know I, in return he probably wrote her you know recommendation letter kind of thing you know yeah yeah stuff yes. so he didn't have to figure out which of his students were virgins <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Do not get me started on the virgin storyline. That'll always be something I will be. I think we did a, a pretty forward thinking. We ended up, know, but it took some discussion. There were, yeah, there were some, the room. there was some uh, sauciness in the writer's room about that. Some stern, what? Some stern. That, that sounds, that sounds like tea. And I feel like someone here <laughs> made a comment about spelling. Well, it was, it was a, one of those situations where I find the concept of virginity to be super retro and sh- shitty. Like what medieval, pre-medieval. It's pretty yeah. yeah. Like who cares? And also what does it mean? And what does it mean if you're a gay woman or a gay man or a queer person of any type? Like what is losing your virginity means? Mm-hmm. You know, so we had all these discussions whether some people in the room wanted to have them or not. And we ended up uh-huh. doing a fairly decent job with it, but I just didn't I personally never wanted to go down the path, I will just say. But I it ended up being okay. 
and it ended up being a very funny scene kind of a styles. Yeah. You know, so I mean, well, the, with the Danny thing was great. Yes. So, it so ended up great. <laughs> very good. That is one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. It's quite good. It's just, yeah. It's, so it ended up it ended up working out that it added to some humor, yeah. but when it comes to a real discussion of that, I just you know I would send people to smarter people on the internet who talk about those things and yeah how retro they are. We definitely were advocating to not go down the virginity thing, and I think that helps bring out some of the other things too because it could have just remained virgins, and that could have been the story. And I think it was nice that it didn't. Yeah. It, so. it went into other things to add to the mystery. Yeah. Thank God, because that they would have had to murder like 48 virgins. Because <laughs> <laughs> so many people die this season. Yeah. Oh That's my true. God. The body count is really high this season. It's I feel high. Like you, you, and you think like, why do people still live there? But the, the turnover must make real estate so cheap that you just can't we, that is our we theory consistently made yes. that joke about how how good the real estate market is the prices yeah. are just so low yeah. you can't yeah. leave because yeah. a single like, mom can have like a three-story house yes yeah. girl live yeah. your best life <laughs> you, do, you have your eye on a property you just wait until you know they're gonna get murdered and then it's just like (laughs) like i don't go to the real estate section i just go to the obits that's how i know (laughs) oh look there's a house on dead baby alley that just (laughs) oh god who on the teen wolf set would have made the best alpha she's gonna say her (laughs) (laughs) the best alpha does that mean like the bossiest person or do you mean like the one that would be the kindest like are we talking like a deucalion alpha or a uh, Derek Alpha or a Scott Alpha or why are the Alphas all dudes? Um, you know, like Collie's an Alpha. Yeah, yeah, she gets to kill. <laughs> um, Whatever you think best means. Yeah. Well, Russell would be insane, an insane. Joke. That would be just chaos. That would be a chaos of. He'd be the best, hilarious. Because <laughs> if Russell was the Alpha, it would just be like story time all the time. Yeah. He has the best story, so you would just like. All the the pack would just sit around the campfire. And you'd just be bringing him coffee. Yeah, you just be you bring him a coffee and he'd tell you an amazing story. It would be. Is it the kind of story where like lightning would flash in the background when he like gets to a really good point? For all of Russell's stories. I feel like more less lightning and more like disco balls would drop. <laughs> oh. And like club lights would start flashing. Yeah. That's, oh that's cool. so, I like that. Yeah, that's why you know I yeah. think Russell would be a great choice. It'd <laughs> be, be a super fun choice. Melissa yeah. would be a safe choice because she's just as a person, she's like just like calm, cool, like cares about people person. If you're gonna give anyone power, give it to her. Don't give it to me. She's super capable. Yeah. She's super, super capable, capable, smart. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Melissa Ponzi. I normally wouldn't choose an actor, but if we're gonna choose an actor, I would choose Melissa for sure. There's a lot of people I would not choose. Um go on. <laughs> I would make a terrible alpha because I'm just such a misanthrope. I'd be like, get away from me, get out of my path. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, I yeah. mean, we had one of those on the show. That's true. Yeah. A misanthropic lycanthrope. Yeah, I mean, we had an alpha and Jeff, you know, like he basically was the he was the boss. He was a boss man. Yeah. Yep. We did his bidding. <laughs> Sometimes, you know. So you guys mentioned some uh changes from your original script to what we saw on screen, but do you recall any scenes that had to be cut from the original draft of your episode? I think the only the, well we mentioned the library one yeah 
It, like that didn't necessarily get cut. It just got changed into different things. But one it thing was that, longer before. Yeah. Uh, another thing that happened was there was originally uh, a scene where there's a music teacher who's in the room alone and hears weird things from the Dirac and ends but, up getting killed by a piano. No, it was super cool. It was, it was wacky. But it would have been really expensive to do and not very, but. And it was kind of veering into magical. Like yeah. How, how is this, like, how is the piano being controlled and how is stuff happening? So it was like all the different instruments started playing and he could hear it all. And then he like goes over to the piano that's like playing and, and the chords break and slash yeah. him and then slash his throat. I think it starts off with Dan, Danny was like teaching that's him dope. how to use, Danny was teaching him how to use a recording thing. He's like, oh yeah, I'll use this recording thing. Then he starts recording. And the Danny leaves. Danny yeah. leaves the you know, the instruments go crazy, kill them, and then they, they and, hear that recording. And then Lydia and Styles come in and listen to the recording and they can't hear anything. Yeah. And Styles was in music class because it was originally, Lydia did have that moment and that's when they find, and the teacher's missing and that's when they find the recording thing. Yeah. So there was still that moment, but it used to be Styles in music class. But then I think that we were like, I don't think Styles is in music class. And then. And also it was like, you have to hire another actor to play a music teacher. Yeah, so yeah it's, just, it's just one of those production things that got changed. I think it worked really well to how it is. I actually really like that scene. The ba, 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 ba. music. Yeah, it's great. I, I like the editing. I like that it was changed. That I mean, the editing was perfect. No. <laughs> yes, but that's not what I'm talking about. The piece of music that is at the beginning of that scene is, is, is an actual, it's something Laura found. I think it was Icelandic and it's super weird and it's just and it's a great song it's not it's a song and it just worked perfectly in that and i i love that we got to use such strange yeah music sometimes you know something completely different that you wouldn't hear you know on a cw show absolutely yeah definitely definitely it gave Lydia a nice moment too with the drawing <laughs> right yeah. yeah starting to set that up yeah getting yeah. her powers and yeah because you know. we discover her like in three like later in this season right we yeah at the very end yeah. yeah yeah so yeah it was fun that was always a fun thing oh i should mention i'm gonna go back for a second a thing in the teen wolf movie that i was thinking about i would love to see what's happened with lydia because lydia was always one of my favorite characters and i always like kind of saw where she would go i don't think jeff and i agreed but i as an adult and just sort of what her powers could lead her to um, and what she could do with something like that and how powerful she could be. Yeah, I feel like every season there was this talk of like women finding their power this season. Who else mentioned that to us? Angela. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Angela. Well, maybe it's a theme. <laughs> nice. Uh, I think we, did we leave it in there? I think we did. God, I don't, I, I don't remember at this point. Did you leave it in there because she just said it was about women finding their power and they never found it? Is that what you left in? They did kind of. It just never It just never became the focus, focus that, yeah. that maybe Angela and I wanted it to be. And others. Yeah, but Angela and I, who were, were around longer. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you could be any Teen Wolf creature, what would you be? Oh, f- I'd be a were-coyote. Malia doesn't give a f- She's just hanging out. Whatever. That's true. Yeah. Accurate. Like, you can be with the pack, but you, you're like, you're fine on your own. It's good. I'll be aware of coyote. Tiptoe around. Well, hold on. <laughs> like, what all the creatures do we have eventually? 
Um, there werewolves. are panamas, banshees, wendigos, skinwalkers, beasts, uh, kitsune. The kitsune is cool. Yeah, you're not really my culture, but like it's still cool. Like you get electricity and stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like the sword stuff that we gave her. That was cool. Kitsune is up there for sure. A banshee really is sort of in my whole goth. Uh, you're a loudmouth, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> She's um, predicting a death is coming soon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, um, I would go with Kitsune. Maybe I'd be the Nugitsune. Oh, there you go. Do you, always have to walk, do you always have to walk around all bandaged up, though? I think that was just time. that Nugitsune, yeah. right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. That, that was that Nugitsune. It was specific to his backstory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our werewolves aren't so bad because they can like change pretty quickly by the mm-hmm. time we got into it. You know, yeah. there wasn't a lot of like tearing your clothes. Yeah. And nice. when did we get rid of loping? Was it season three? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah that, so you don't have to lope anymore. Well, that's a theory in practice. <laughs> <laughs> I still give Russell shit about that sometimes. So what about you guys? Werewolf. I think being a banshee would be dope, but I, I'm also a, a fan of werewolf so i think we're a coyote because yeah she got to do the full shift and i think that would have been really fun that's true derek got to full shift and he did but it took a while and it's not standard practice that they get to no yeah he did die first you have to die first and it seems like you have to have a bigger budget (laughs) and then you know where you are with your finances so if i'm if i'm like a wealth wolf then that would be like My 401k is doing really well. I think I'm going to go for the full shift this year. Yes, you guys. Nice. <laughs> a werewolf of Wall Street. There you go. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I'm going to put a down payment on a full shift. Yeah. It's going to be worth it. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys could have put any storyline in the Teen Wolf original run of the show, what would it have been? I mean, there's so much story already. It's, you know, it's bonkers. But I think one thing that I was really like, I was like the sort of goofier side of things. And I thought it would always be fun to do an episode about Greenberg where like, <laughs> everything revolves, like we never see, you know, the joke is you never see Greenberg, but it was just like, where's Greenberg episode? And like, all these things are happening because of Greenberg and it sort of like all resolved. And, you know, I, I don't know how you could ever do that, but like the dream was always to throw Greenberg in as much as possible. And you and never, and you never see him. And you never see him. And you, like, you know, you still know nothing about Greenberg by the end, you know? Maybe uh, it could be shot first person and it would be like being John Greenberg. <laughs> right. There you and go. everyone would have their chance to be Greenberg. That would be really good, actually, if you were yeah. POV and you never see him. Yeah. You think you're going to see him in the mirror at the end, but then like Styles like somehow <laughs> that up, you know, like you never. He flails and breaks the mirror and it's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> no, no. You never get to get to see Greenberg. That would have been really fun. Yeah, that would have been good. I mean, I'm sure that there's some storylines that were discarded along the way. If I like, if we have pictures of the old boards, you know, that just never got to happen. But, you know, the cool thing about the show is that like I pitched what would happen before I was ever writing on the show, like season one or two, I think the people were talking about a lunar eclipse. And I I said to Jeff, you know, I wonder what happens to werewolves during a lunar eclipse. Do they lose all their powers? And he's like, oh, that's a cool idea. And you know, it didn't happen that season. And then when I, it happened, you know, after I got to write on the show. 
So, you know, like those ideas that just like come across when you're thinking about story and I was, you know, I was editing at the time, but you know, it's on my mind all the time. Uh, you know, you got to see those come, come about. I mean, I have the controversial opinion that I wanted to, to, I wanted to finish Danny's story. I wanted to kill him in a fun way. Oh, you um, can't kill Danny. America's sweetheart, Danny. Exactly. I know, but I wanted <laughs> to give him a good ending, like a, like a good death, like a fun death. Like, you know, we finally know a what heroic, happened to Danny. A heroic, heroic dead yeah. death. I'm dead. He's her hero and he dies heroically. Danny Mihailani's a national treasure. That would just never work. <laughs> well, you see, it didn't happen. <laughs> I wanted to do it. There were a lot of very controversial deaths on Teen Wolf. So, you know, you never know. Who's the most controversial? I feel like I was reading about Boyd's death on Tumblr a lot after it happened. No, I mean, for sure, that was a a situation where, yeah, it's like not up to us to figure that out. You know, that was one of those things of like when you're you're dealing with contracts and who wants to come back and who doesn't. A production reality death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you, you know, there are ways to handle it where like, do we do we just write the character out? Or do we finish the character off? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a bummer. I mean, I don't think any of us wanted to to kill off Boyd in many ways. We did not want to kill off Boyd, yeah. the character at all. Yeah, and that, I mean, like, as, I, as we said earlier, you know, when we were originally our first draft, like, they were still alive. They were still around. They were still, or, I mean, I guess Boyd still is in our episode, but yeah, it's like. He hasn't died till later, but yeah. Yeah, I don't think we had any intention of killing off Erica or Boyd, at least at first. I would have gladly, much more likely have killed off Erica than Boyd anyhow, if I had a choice, but just like character-wise. Yeah, not everything that happens in a TV show is because the writers want it to happen and plan it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> people live longer for reasons just because they are delightful. Yeah. Um, you know, like characters that you're like oh we're, we should kill oh well megan tandy is a perfect example yes. of someone who is just a, a nothing character and everyone not a nothing character but you know she was just sort of like this little she was just called the girl she was the girl yeah she was the girl and i think i told you guys this before like i walked into the room uh, i walked we were eating lunch and i walked in and saw her and i hadn't heard that she was coming back because once again if you don't ask questions and i was like i thought we killed you yeah. <laughs> Megan, who has become a good friend of mine, I think that's the first thing I ever said to her. Was like, I thought we killed you. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I thought you did too, but uh, she's so surprised. I'm back. Yeah, she's the best, and that was she still totally remembers that. She's like, I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, did did. Was there a miscommunication? Am I not supposed to be here? Like, <laughs> well, you know, and I, I was just being like, I mean, I forget that you know the actors are people. I guess I was less like, <laughs> I don't know. I was very happy to have her back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's like this isn't Teen Wolf, but you know, uh, I helped get Jr. cast on the hundred. I mean, his talent got him cast, but I had put his name up and talked about, you know, talked him up and he was supposed to come in season six and he was like our big bad season six and he was supposed to die. But let me tell you, everybody loved JR. And so we managed to figure out a way in, you know, like a body swapping weird way thing we were doing on the hundred at that point to bring him back uh, for season seven, uh, which was 
awesome because, you know, having him around is amazing and we all love to, you know, so sometimes those kind of things happen too. And yeah. sometimes it goes the other way, you know, the, the person you cast doesn't maybe pull off what you want them to, but I think but more often than not, more often than not, you're, you're surprised by someone like, you know, you can, you only see them in a casting tape and they can only do so much with like the 20 lines that they're doing. And when they get around other people, you sort of like get them working, they get a little relaxed. You know, there's some pretty talented people out there who, who earn their way up by just being amazing. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Megan Tandy being one of them. Megan Tandy being a great example. Absolutely. So what kind of things did you guys have to take into consideration when you were writing the episode? Like, were you able to pick where like scenes where you want them to be set or did they tell you these are the locations we'll have? How'd that work? I mean, budget, budget was everything on this show. Like, I I don't know if I, was it this season? What's the season where Isaac has to be, he like freaks out. Was that episode one or two or three? Oh, where he's in the the closet? No, that's ours. Uh, Yeah, that's there was a, something where Isaac's freaking out and they have to, like, I had a whole scene where you had to throw, they had to throw him in the shower and, uh, like, in a bathtub and then he had, a, like, a wet Isaac, which is always good. And uh, <laughs> if we couldn't afford to build a bathroom set, so that got changed. I can't remember what it got changed to because I haven't seen this season in a long time. We watched our episode, but, so I can't remember exactly in place where it is what it got changed to I and mean, he still freaks out but they do something else you know there's like the standing set oh, was it in motel california set. no 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 it's not motel california that no okay. that, that was a different it was something that was a different freak out yeah he's not in he's not in the bathtub in that one isn't it boyd in it's the boyd yeah mm-hmm. with a safe yeah that's oh that's right like every season we build like one big set and i think this season we had the vault, right? Will, is that right? Is that the yeah, bank the, vault? Yeah, the bank vault at the beginning. Yeah. And it comes back later on. Yeah. And then we turned it into the sheriff station the next season, I think, right? Or the end of this season or something. Oh, no. I think it became, didn't that turn into the library? No. Didn't we use? No. The vault got turned, the vault got turned into the sheriff station. The same marble. You see the same marble columns and stuff. It oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we didn't have like, I think there was one thing we wrote where there at the beginning of at the beginning. And if you look at the outline of this episode at the beginning, there's a it's the the kid and his girlfriend and they're mm-hmm. coming to to get a rescue dog at the vet and they're driving in the car and stuff talking about it. And like that, just adding a car in a driving scene is expensive. So even by the time we got to script, we changed had changed that, you know, just for sometimes it's for just artistic purposes but sometimes it's for production purposes and then it became not you know the guy and the girlfriend then it was just like the guy and Deaton and Scott because then you're like let's have our let's have our main characters main characters and and you know sometimes for scheduling purposes fewer characters in scenes it's easier to shoot and also sometimes it's easier to schedule if an actor is not going to be there that day all those things change. And the reality of Teen Wolf was, it was we had a very low budget. This was a show that looked great. You know, anyone who ever says like the show had cheesy, you know, set design or effects, which for the most part, they it didn't, particularly at the time. No. Um, I still think this show looks fantastic yeah. for the budget we had. Um, Every single dollar is on the screen. Yeah, amazing, like, amazing yeah. talent. Yeah. 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 I like how you couldn't get out the word budget without laughing when talking (laughs) about the Team Wolf budget. It was, it was very tight. And yeah, so we, everything's around, as you see, like everything's around the school. 
you know, they did do a couple day outs, uh, but they had planned that with like, not just this episode, they went to Palisades High, you know, it wouldn't just be one episode, we would block shoot shoot a few different scenes from, you know, the season because it's expensive to rent out the high school. So- And same with like the running scenes out in the, in the, you know, the cross country scenes, they're not just shooting those scenes then, you know, what, they'll do that like during the day and at night they'll do some wood scenes for some other episode and stuff yeah or even this luckily this episode had day and night out there it's true (laughs) but i remember watching it again last night like there's the werewolf fight kind of there's going to be a fight and then there's a scream and then they're just stand they like run up i was like that feels like we missed like a big like a running up it feels very shortened and i don't like it as an editor or a writer and i now i remember how much we were running out of light so hard that when Styles and Isaac and Scott are all standing there having their then the things are happening in the background and the three of them are standing there I remember that was basically almost night there was like a bounce board trying to get as much light and what we had to do in color to turn it up to make it look like it was still afternoon I mean it was at the very edge so you know, those are the kind of things that you're dealing with all the time too. It's just like, we pack so much into these stories that the episodes were always too long. We always were having to cut stuff out and cut stuff down. And yeah. Yeah. If you read through an outline, you'd be like, there's no way we could get all this in an episode. And then you would. And yeah, it was, but that teaser was so long, even in the outline and it got cut way down. It had to be for sure. Yeah. Other than the Derek Hale shirt, did either of you get any fun souvenirs from the show? Well, I have a couple styles sweatshirts. I've given one to Brooke from the Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. Yeah. Um, we have a couple of uh, bullet collars. Oh, oh nice. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm not sure why we have two of them. I guess we could just a stunt. Go. You have a stunt. They always have a backup. Yeah. Drop. Well, I know that, but why do we have two of them? So you can match, right? So you yeah. match, yeah. And Jessica had written a joke at the beginning of this season. And so when it's like when they're in the tattoo shop and they're like flipping through things and uh, Styles finds a picture of a lizard man, he's like, too soon. So that was Jessica's so joke. In I the room. pitched that joke. So I have the. That's awesome. oh, that is so fun. Oh, I'm so jealous. That's yeah. so great. You know, like at the end of a season, they have uh, they like sell off some of the prop not props well yeah some of the clothes and some other stuff i think we got a oh well yeah that's not a, that was just they had computers yeah. that they needed to sell and, and we got a computer and it's old and now it needs to be replaced but yeah. it has really done me well yeah i ended up i think the only thing i ever got clothes wise for myself besides i think i got a like a scott as i said i dress like a boy in beacon hill so a couple <laughs> But um, like hoodies that I liked, but I couldn't fit into any of the women's clothes except Crystal had my size of shoe. So I think I ended up with a couple of her pairs of boots. But the thing about these clothes, unlike Servant, which I mean, the clothes budget must be a million dollars on that show. I'm not kidding. Like the kind of clothes that they buy for those rich people. Once again, this show was on a budget. So those are like Old Navy and I mean, Clearly, Barbara made a lot of the cooler, you know, the Duroc outfit and everything else. But when they had to, like, go shopping, these kids weren't dressing in fancy stuff. They were getting their stuff like the rest of us at Old Navy and everything else. So, you know, I it wasn't like we were scoring Louboutins or anything. We were scoring stuff, you know, Mm. from Ross, which was cool. Yeah. 
when we had her on, she talked about that. She was like, we love Target because we can go there and buy oh, yeah. all the versions of, we can buy like all the stunt versions and all the, everything yeah. we need. We can get one shirt nine times and it won't kill us. You yeah, know I, think, I, mean, so. I think I had one of the things, one of the sweatshirts I think was like the Massimo like hoodie. Yeah, I think this, I got this in like two other colors at the, you know, at the same time. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but you know, that's the, that's the world of, and, I, and frankly, it gives a, a, a sense of, Versimilitude. Yeah. Got it right the first time. Because, you know, like that's the reality for most most teenagers, you know. So are there any upcoming projects y'all can tell us about? I mean, the God of War Ragnarok will be one for you to look forward to. That's, oh, yes. I think I'm <laughs> I think I'm done with everything. Uh, you know, sometimes they call you back in to do some more pickups and stuff, but I think I'm done with everything on that one. Nice. Um, you know, my season of servant is airing right now. I, yeah, other than that, it's a lot of things that might happen. I'm pitching, I've got this fantastic book series called The Kingston Cycle, written by C.L. Polk, the first book being Witchbark, which we're pitching around town, which I think they're really fun books if you've never read them. And uh, we just pitched that to Shondaland. So we'll see if anything happens with that. But, you know, this is all, it's all clouds in the sky. It's all wisps of air that maybe will form into something and maybe it will not. We don't know, you know. Yep. I have a ID, I have a another thing with a comic book company, IDW. Mm-hmm. There's a horror comic called Mountainhead that nice. we're trying to finish the contract on to develop that into a pitch. Um, but once again, it's a pitch and it will live in that world for a while. And and then we have the, as I said, the script we wrote a long time ago that I then changed into a pilot is um, I'm meeting with a producer tomorrow. Um, and that's exciting. That's like nothing that dies is ever dead. Yeah. In this town. I mean, we talked about it. Except for Mr. Harris. Except for (laughs) (laughs) Bringing it back. Well, thank you all for joining us. Alyssa joining us again. Jessica joining us for the first time. We have really uh, enjoyed it. And we really appreciate y'all talking to us about Teen Wolf. This this show that we all love so much. And it's kind of touched us all. So uh, thank you very much for sitting down with us. Thank you for having us. It was uh, was pretty fun. Yeah. (laughs) Walking oh, just back. pretty fun okay yeah walking the halls of uh vegan hillside again <laughs> we had a great time talking with Alyssa and jessic but now it's back to spoilers so this is the first time they've introduced mistletoe into the mythology right i think so yeah i think this is the first instance of that we have okay. multiple uh plant-based mythologies now we've got wolfsbane <laughs> yeah. we've got mounted ash and now we have mistletoe yep so is Kyle supernaturally drawn to the voice under the dumpster? Because I feel like in normal human circumstances, whispering, come closer from the shadows should not actually result in a person coming closer. Well, we do know the Drock has magical vagina powers. <laughs> is that what bit him? Vagina dentata? <laughs> yes. Well, I think it's a broad range though. But according to the script, it does seem like he's supernaturally drawn to it. At least that's how I interpret it. It says... Oh. He leans in, seeming almost hypnotized by the pleading voice. And it says, Kyle's eyes remain fixed on the thing underneath the dumpster as he obediently moves. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, that kind of spells that out, I think. Yeah, it's interesting to hear how the business is written for something like that. Yeah. You know Ms. Blake is evil because she returned to the school after the events of Fireflies. (laughs) Yes, anyone else would have transferred after that. Right? To another country. Yep. I know teaching jobs can be hard to come by, but still. It's better than being dead. Yeah.
What is it that makes the chanting sound when the Duroc kills someone? Maybe it's all the magical energy she's harnessing. Like it's like when all the energy comes together, it kind of comes out as a vocalization. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. I think she just takes her cell phone along and plays like a YouTube clip she found. <laughs> Spotify like playlist for this chanting. I do love audio-based horror. Yeah. Don't we find out later that Stolinski has a military background? Yes. I'm surprised Styles didn't bring that up when they were trying to think of possible victims. Probably because they didn't think about that until later. Like the writers, not Styles, because I think that Styles wouldn't have given a f- about anyone else and just gone to make sure his dad was okay. Yeah. He's certainly not been worried about Harris if his dad was a potential victim. Yeah, f- Harris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so while the Duroc was stalking Harris, he was quietly writing D A R A C H on papers, hoping that someone would unscramble them. Like, if he wanted someone to know that he was killed by a Duroc, why didn't he just write the word Duroc? Maybe she did it, like, for funsies. Well, she is a language arts teacher. D-A-R-A-C-H is your vocabulary word for this week. (laughs) What was Mr. Harris doing for Blake? Telling her the sex lives of students? I think that's basically what it was, you know, finding the people for her. But there's no way he could know who was a virgin. Heather Deving, go to their school. She didn't even go here. (laughs) (laughs) He could have been like... (laughs) That Styles kid's definitely a virgin. Maybe like the drop was just like following him and then heard Heather say she was a virgin. It's like, eh, she got left alone. I'm going to take her instead. Maybe. Or Harris was like scoping out like church purity gatherings. Is that a thing? I don't know. I haven't really ever been to church, so I don't well, know. Well, the purity kid would have been way easier than Heather. Heather, there was nothing that suggested that she was into the purity thing. That's true. Yeah, the one guy wore know. a ring, which is just a neon yeah. sign for <laughs> sacrifice me as a virgin. That's true. I I don't know. Harris's ways are mysterious. I, I mean, it's a risk that she doesn't just kill kids with purity rings. And even then, you don't know, you could have a Jennifer's body situation, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not Very careful. True. Yeah, I, I find it frustrating that we never find out exactly how Harris was involved with the drug. Because we don't, right? No, I mean, because he's gone. I mean, that's that's it for Mr. Harris, folks. But uh, yeah, because even like once once Jennifer is out, it is is in her full form and doesn't need to hide anymore. Like, I mean, she does some monologuing, but it's never like we don't even get that deep into it. We get the past, the thing that led to all of this, but we didn't get like the interstitial steps between right. between lesbian murder and um, <laughs> uh, her revenge. So, yeah. Unfortunately, because that would would be interesting to to know how all that that worked out. She too hit on Harris while he was drunk at the bar. <laughs> I mean, he says, has a type. Mm. I did what you asked. I did everything. They're going to figure this out, and they're going to find you. You still need me. But yeah, like maybe what did he helped her get. Oh, the job. Yeah, like because it just oh, yeah. occurred to me if he says the thing about they're going to. Fig- they're going to find you you still need me that to me sounds more like it has to do with like her cover mm. i see you know? i had not thought about that that he helped her get that job placement and so i i can i i think that's what that is now that that's what he's saying he's like he, if they look too deep and by too deep i mean like they read more than just one page of your cv or something then uh that's how they're going to figure it out so that, that could be what he's saying And that would give an extra dimension to that conversation between Jennifer and Derek, where she's like, I have no idea how I'm going to teach this because she doesn't teach English. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so Derek's like, tell them it's an allegory for McCarthyism, which everybody knows. And she's like, oh shit, yeah. I Let me write that down. Where's my pen? Exactly. <laughs> like, I got to write down that it's an allegory for McCarthyism because I do not teach English. I think that makes the most sense. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 5, Brave. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.